Okay, welcome back to Tell Me More. I'm Katie Reed Hodges with Dr. Dennis Wiles today, and we're talking through Philippians 2. And we'll talk about the nature of the poem, hymn, whatever that is. We're even going to talk about the idea that Jesus emptied himself to be among us and what that means. And I think it's a really fun convo, and I look forward to sharing it with you. So here we go. All right, we're back in the podcast studio. We made it through week one. I even got some texts that people listen to us, so that's always cool. (laughs) (laughs) It is helpful. Yeah, so we're back, and we're here on Tell Me More with Dr. Wiles again. And today we're going to talk about Philippians 2. I keep trying to say Ephesians, and I'm reminded that that's not right. So we'll get into it. But um, Okay, this is a tricky month, August, to talk to you about your sermons because you preach them in the morning. But in the evening, just in August, we have pastor's Bible study, summer Bible study, and you're going pretty in-depth on most of these topics. Correct. But I've listened to both. I've studied both. And I think there's some directions we could go a little bit deeper um, that we can have some fun with and maybe learn a little bit about. But in every other month of the year, the other 11 months, this is essentially a Sunday night Bible study and a podcast. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're at. Right. So it's good. How have you been feeling about your Sunday night Bible studies? You know, it's uh, it's always fun to me. I mean, I love to teach the Bible, and the good news is our church loves to study the Bible, and so put those two together, and it's a great combination. <laughs> and so I enjoy teaching, and they enjoy learning, and and creating an opportunity for dialogue, which only enhances, deepens the learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this past Sunday night was a great example of that. We had some great questions, and. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's good. That's good. So it, for anybody listening, if you want to get the full package mm-hmm. of particularly Philippians 2, mm-hmm. you preached it in the morning, mm-hmm. you taught it in the evening on Sunday. Those Correct. are those are both already out on the First Baptist Arlington podcast. I right. listened to those. Mm-hmm. And then you can listen to this, and you pretty much never need to study Philippians 2 again. <laughs> That's right? right. Definitive. You can move on. <laughs> yeah, you can move on. No, no, no. There's, ne- there's never a – you're never done. But for today – there's one part of Philippians 2 that I want us to camp out in, if that's all right with you. Mm-hmm. And it's this hymn, song, poem, whatever we want to call it. But it's particularly in Philippians 5, starts in five or Philippians 2, mm-hmm. verse 5, and mm-hmm. goes through 11. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it. I won't read the whole thing, but for if somebody's like driving in the car and wants to get their bearings and they're not right. going to pull it up, it, it talks about this. This is NIV. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then it goes into being the very nature of God, did not consider himself equal with God, not something to be used to his advantage, but he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And then it goes on and just talk about Jesus. And it's, but it's even in, I'm, I'm reading from the NIV, its margins look different. It's set apart mm-hmm. like he's almost quoting, like Paul is quoting something or looking towards something. And so you've alluded to on Sunday morning and Sunday night, that this is a unique piece of literature mm-hmm. that he obviously he wrote it and put it in his letter, but mm-hmm. was it, did it exist before that? And he's quoting it. Mm-hmm. Was it a hymn that was passed around? Mm-hmm. Is it something that a poem that Paul wrote himself? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about that a little bit <laughs> and I want, you've alluded to all those things, but I don't know that you've definitively said your opinion on it all. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Your professional opinion. <laughs> right. Well, you're exactly right. When you, when you're reading the text in the, in the new, international version, it does take the text on the page and set it off, particularly beginning in verse six, actually, is where it sets it off. Mm-hmm. Or yep. Verse five is the preamble, kind of the intro. Yeah. Uh, because if you're if you're looking at Philippians two, you'll notice in verse six it begins with the word who. 
And that's somewhat of a signal, if you will, to, to many scholars. You have a, another example of this in Colossians and I think in First Timothy. Um, and it's it seems to fit to the, 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 the parameters, if you will, of poetic writing. You know, the Hebrew poetry was not um, the kind of poetry that we normally think of that rhymes per mm-hmm. se. <clears throat> That's not how they did it. It was more of a parallel thoughts that mm-hmm. existed together. And so you see that actually on the page, kind of um, the way it's indented and uh, mm-hmm. the margins are, are, are placed for yep. us in the text. So with the, the preambles in verse 5 and then verse 6, you begin with who, and that's really where this section begins. However, in this particular one, unlike other examples in the New Testament, um, what you do with verse 5 really helps determine what you do with which is, the next piece of material. Which is the, well, I might call it the introduction to that, or he's that setting it up. So in, right. in verse 5, mm-hmm. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, mm-hmm. have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. colon. Then it's kind of this indented poem Correct. or whatever. That's right. And so, okay, it seems pretty straightforward to me in right. the NIV. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Correct. Right, but if you're looking at the Greek, right, is it not so, so clear? Correct. Okay. The the um, you know, the New Testament is written uh, almost predominantly in Greek, a little bit of Aramaic here and there, but it's primarily a Greek um, um, collection of documents. And so, Greek can be incredibly clear, which is one of the reasons I think the New Testament is written in Greek. Robust vocabulary and all that. Mm. However, but clear in, in its intent, a lot more than maybe Hebrew. Some, uh, yeah, oh yeah, I've studied much Hebrew. more clarity. It can be a little bit nebulous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, however, <clears throat> also there are times in in uh, Koine Greek is the Greek that the New Testament's written in. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually have dependent clauses where you don't. The writer doesn't provide a verb. So there's an implication of a verb. Mm-hmm. So you, as a as a translator, have got to decide what um, what would be the missing verb. Often what, it mm-hmm. could be the verb to be. Mm-hmm. Question is, what tense? What's the force of it? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Verse five is an example of that. We don't we have a missing verb, mm-hmm. and so the translators have to decide how do you how do you determine what the verb is, the tense, its import, et cetera. So I'm looking at it, and I see the verb in there as have. Right. In your in relationships mm-hmm. with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Correct. Jesus. So right. in Greek, could I assume it says something like, well, in your relationships, yeah, in the, in the, in the words, mindset of you, Jesus? You have two options in Greek, basically, okay. and translations usually pick one or the other. One of them is um, um, have the mindset which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay. In other words, you become a believer, and now you've been given this new mind, if you will, this new way to think. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the, the that is in tandem with other passages that say you have the mind of Christ. Got so it. that's one way to translate. And then it goes on to just describe. And then it describes my mind. What's the, in that's right. What's available? Oh, okay. And then the other one is to say, have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus, which is the new NIVs that uh, they've they've changed it just a little bit use the word mindset, Mm -hmm. but the implication is have this mind, which was in Christ Jesus, as opposed to which is yours in Christ Jesus. And either one of those will work in the grammar. Uh But but the reason it matters is because the, 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 and and here's the thing about translating from Greek into English or really any language, I guess Um, you, you have to, as translators, you have to decide the philosophy of translation. Every biblical 
um, group of scholars that's done any translation work does that. Which, by the way, side note, it's probably good if you have a biblical translation that is done by a group of scholars okay, for these reasons, yes, right? Because it's not just it's. There's always your own right. lens yeah. that you're looking it's, at uh, it through. It's okay to to have as a reference something that yeah. one person has translated, mm-hmm. if particularly if they're you know linguistic, a scholar, and, and yeah, not not all one one persons are the same, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, but your day-to-day reader, if you want to trust it, most of right. the ones that we have in church that people right. bring are, right. are done by scholarly committees Correct. of people. teams of scholars. Yeah. The NIV and, is a great example of that. Yeah. But verse 5 um, would be a good example of why we might want that. Right. It's not uh, just one person's opinion. Right. Occasionally, and it is rare. I mean, it, occasionally, you know, you'll have translators make one decision and another group of translators will make another decision, and it normally doesn't have any impact per se theologically. That's even true of this one. It's not that it has a theological mm-hmm. um, 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 impact per yep. se. It's more of an application, if you will. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. for example, let me back up and just say, when translators adopt a philosophy, um, the NIV um, translators, it's what we usually refer to as a dynamic equivalent. And what that mm. means is... Yeah, the dynamic equivalent. Take, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you carry that around your pocket every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that was dynamic. That was dynamically equivalent. Yeah. Um, okay, go what ahead. What that Sorry. means is... They're taking, first of all, they translate the text as as um, um, as as woodenly as possible, and then they take that translation and place it in a thought, if you will, that is equivalent in the language in which you're trying to, to, to place it in. A little more easily Correct. to, more palatable. So, so, for example, the translators of the New American Standard Bible, the NASB, mm-hmm made the decision to be as as literal as possible. Yeah. So it has And it can be wooden, choppy. It can be choppy, has mm-hmm. a wooden feel. And consequently, just to be honest, it's not been as good of a seller, if you will, uh, in, in America because it has a wooden feel to it. The NIV, still a legitimate translation, so don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. This, this is a translation of the scripture, and it is incredibly well done. But the thought is put there for us. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, which is, I think, is the superior way to do it, to be honest yeah. with you. And um, so I'm grateful for all the hard work that's gone into it. But occasionally you'll come up across a passage where they, you know, you've got to decide what to do about something like this, like a mm-hmm. missing verb. So the reason it has any impact in this conversation is you have two, two or three schools of thought about this poem, hymn, material. Mm-hmm. You have one school of thought. You have a predominant school of thought, I believe, that just says this was some kind of hymn or poem. That was already circulating? Was already, it, evidently, that's what many or At least Paul believe. had access to. Right, Paul okay. would have had it. That's one idea. The other is, is that this is just Paul's argument. And um, and so you have either one of those. But if it was just um, his argument, he decided to, I mean, I don't know about the original text, indented no, indent or whatever no, it might be. You don't have that in the original text. So in the original text, it's, it's it, all just it looks together. like the rest yeah, of it. Absolutely. But somewhere along the way, we've been saving paper in those days. Well, sure. I would say paper. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, but they don't have the luxury of, you know, skipping correct. a line don't and indenting. Spaces between the words. Right, so. which can get confusing. <laughs> That's, That's right. another <laughs> literary really translation. Right. Um, but, but someone it, added along the way that it, this, yeah, it these five verses, six like, verses it are. Like, yeah. it, it feels like a poem, a hymn. Now, but where it came from, right. we don't know. Here's, here's the thing I would say about that. Okay. We don't have any textual evidence of this passage existing anywhere else in a written form. So it's not like we have uncovered some text somewhere, like a worship manual, if mm-hmm. you want to call it that, yeah. from the first Which century. Which occasionally we do. We I do. mean, that those exist, but, but this has this never one. been in there. Mm-hmm. 
So the only place we know of that it exists is in this particular passage of Scripture. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. However, so most people believe it is some kind of a hymn, poem, whatever. That's really not the the um, the the um, the challenge of interpretation. That that's not the yeah. That's almost a side note. That's right. Yeah. The fun to think is, about, not really affecting the way it applies to your life. Okay. Right. What okay. some people say is, well, if you choose to say, let this mind be in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, mm -hmm. then what follows is an exegetical, um, they call it charismatic, soteriological piece of material. In other words, it's primarily to teach the church. It's a it's a teaching tool. That this is the mind you received That's in right. Christ Jesus. So it's our mind. You, this is what you need to this is what is available to you now in terms of the knowledge God's given you. Hmm. And so God is revealing to you this in these incredible truths about Jesus. Okay. That um, he is his preeminence is is a given. He's coexistent with God the Father. Hmm. That he has <laughs> chosen to empty himself, uh -huh. um, and that the the miracle of the incarnation is spelled out for you in a very poetic way. So this is primarily a, what what scholars would call a charismatic piece of material. It is a teaching text. You're teaching the church something really incredibly true about Jesus, and the only reason you're able to comprehend it is because God is making this available to you with the mind that is now yours in Christ Jesus. Okay. okay? So that's the charismatic that's right. argument, <clears throat> school of thought. It's instructional, mm -hmm. informational, inspirational. If you go for, if you, if you choose to say, well, I'm, I believe that the implication in verse 5 is have this mindset or this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus, mm -hmm. well, now yeah. it becomes exemplary. It becomes yeah. an example for mm -hmm. you. Now you're taking this as an ethical piece of, of material. Mm -hmm. Behave like this. Let, let me show you. Paul has just gotten through saying, make my joy complete. Be, be humble. Mm -hmm. be, be unified. Um, don't, don't, don't be characterized by selfish ambition. And then, like Jesus, yeah. look how Jesus did this. Imitate him. Mm -hmm. Look at what he Here's did. Here's the example. He, he surrendered his status. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, you don't have to um, always just hold on to your status just because you have to claim all your rights just because you have them. Look at what Jesus did. He emptied himself of mm -hmm. them. And thinking uh, uh, more highly of others than himself, my goodness, the Son of God chose to become one of us. How, how, I mean, that's, that's an incredible example of mm -hmm. servanthood. Took on the form of a servant, identified himself with us, and then the calling to be obedient. Be obedient like Jesus. Well, how, how obedient was Jesus? Even to the point of death. Mm -hmm. So there's this, this beautiful... Um, ethical passage of scripture placed poetically in the text, if you will, mm. and or maybe even sung. That would be another another way to look at it. That this perhaps was a hymn that was that sung they would by recognize. the early church. And so you think about that. Now the 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 evidence on that side of the table is it's it, historically we have done that. We have taught theology through our hymnal. We have we've written these grand hymns that teach theology and think about in the history of the church a lot of theology in the church is learned not just through the study of the scripture, but it's learned upon reflection as as shared through the hymns that we mm -hmm. sing in our worship yep. manual, if you want to call it that. True today. Um, so, you know, you can you can argue this is a a text that is really challenging you to live a certain way, or this is a text that is teaching you something incredibly profound about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now the implication would be though, Katie, I would say, even those on the soteriological side would say, well, of course, this has ethical implications. Right. I mean, my it goodness. still leads us <laughs> yeah, to course, the way we but, live. But the primary right. import of it, though, is to teach you something about Jesus. Now, um, and then, of course, you have the next uh, part of the poem mm -hmm. where you have 
um, what God has chosen to do, and that is exalt Christ and give him a name that's above every name. He has mm-hmm. super exalted him, the text says, and he, and he now has this matchless name. And then there's this also prophetic word about the future that all of humanity is going to mm-hmm. kneel and bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. And all of that gives glory to God the Father. So it's... Uh, you know, this is this is one of those uh, towering texts of Scripture <laughs> that we all just kind of hold a little loosely, and Paul's in front of, and say, "My goodness, this is this is some incredible material." So when I look at this text, yeah, where do you and, what's what's <laughs> the mind of Dennis Wiles on this text? Um, well, I, I have a great deal of appreciation for everybody who lives on both sides of this conversation. You mentioned Dr. Still, Dr. Todd Still, Still, who's who's one of my mentors. I love Dr. Still. He and our great friends. And it's hard to argue with with him about Paul or Uh, Greek. I mean, you need to know what you're coming with. Sure. Forgotten more Greek than I'll ever know. (laughs) Um, So, uh, however, with all due respect, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine I probably have two animals in me, uh, but, but here's what I would say. I'm, I'm trying to imagine in the first century, these early Christians, we're, we're AD 61-ish probably when mm-hmm. Paul writes this. Okay. So what, what are the issues in front of the church in that earliest expression? I mean, you're only a generation really removed from Jesus. You're 30 years from Jesus mm-hmm. roughly. So what, what is it that the church was still trying to learn? What needed to be um, displaced firmly within the theological mind of the church? Mm-hmm. Well, I would probably argue that at that point, point in time, what needed to be really clearly taught was the relationship between God the Son and God the Father and this whole understanding of the incarnation, because that is going to set Christianity apart. It is going to, it, it, it is one of the ways that we see uh, Jesus Christ as being this messianic fulfillment and then some, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because the, the idea that the expected one was going to come Obviously, many Jews expected that, but had you had, had you had said to a first century Jew, "Well, you know, the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, he's also going to he's going to be the son of David." A typical Jew who was looking for the Messiah would have said, "Well, of course he's going to be the son of David." But if you'd have said, "Well, he's actually going to be the son of God," actually he's going to be God in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Well, he's going to be coexistent with God throughout eternity. Well, that would not have necessarily been a part of the messianic expectation. Mm. So it's almost like it's the Messiah and then some. Mm-hmm. So what needs to be taught, what needs to be um, communicated very clearly to the early church? I, I can't help myself but to believe that the teaching about the incarnation mm-hmm. of the Son of God and and just the very person and nature of the Son of God mm-hmm. is something that needs to be clearly set before the early church. Mm-hmm. So that lends me to kind of lean a little bit more toward believing a couple things about this. Okay, okay? tell me. And that probably may put me in the minority, and I'm okay with that, mostly. <laughs> um, but we'll, I, we'll respect it. I'm going, in my view, I'm going to give Paul credit for being the author of this. Okay, you think Paul wrote it? I do. And and I think he wrote it for, and I think he wrote it, and this is, this is the Dennis R. Wiles view. Okay, yeah. I, I think he's under the inspiration of the Spirit. I think he wrote it intentionally in poetic form so that it could become a part of a catechism for a church. But I think it fits into his argument overall to the Philippians um, about this is the the call of God to embrace Christ for who he really is, and this is who he really is. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with the application either way. 
I'm okay with the ethical implications of it. That really doesn't bother me. I'm, I think it's a. I think it has ethical import. But I'm of the opinion that it primarily has soteriological, theological import to say to the early church, let me make sure you know who Christ Jesus is. Okay. And he is co-equal with the Father. He has had to empty himself. He is pre-existent in his very nature. The only way for this to be possible is he, ha- he has had to empty himself um, of all the rights and privileges and rank of, of, of that position of being a member of the Trinity surrender that on our behalf, take on the form of a servant and robe himself in human flesh, give up that that eternal existence, if you will, and place himself in time as a human being and lowering self, himself to that point so that he actually is going to be able to accomplish the atonement, so that he's going to be able to fully uh, take on the sins of the world and understand who we are. And then know this, that has not been lost uh, in in God's view because what God has done is, as, as this has all unfolded, God is now making sure you know who he is because he's now exalted him to the highest place <laughs> and given him a name above every name. And all that ultimately will bring glory to God. So so, so your take, the Dennis R. Walls <laughs> take, oh, as of today. Uh, don't tell Todd Steele. Um, <laughs> yeah, he might find it. I don't know that he'll be the first one to you know, open the uh, podcast, is that, he, that Paul wrote it. Do you mm-hmm. think he wrote it? I mean, he's he's in house arrest, yes. and so he's got a lot of time on his hands. Correct. You think it's something he wrote, you know, in, in a point of inspiration, and then later put it into this letter, or he wrote it as a flow of this show. letter? Yeah, yeah. Well, great question. Thank you. Again, I think it. I think you could probably go either way there, but. I guess my sense is I'm reading Philippians as a, as a as just a complete document, mm-hmm. and it it feels like it just fits in the text. It just it, it just does. Hit him. It feels like here's a great opportunity to express this truth, and I can do it in a way that's very poetic. Mm-hmm. Why, why would I limit? But I realize not everybody can write poetry and hymnody. I've never written hymn, mm-hmm. um, but but Me you neither. know, not necessarily. Paul's not really putting it to music, right? But he is. But it's poetic. But in he its is nature. writing it poetically. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That's why I agree with the I agree with the NIV decision um, to place it the way they've done it on the page because I do think it is it, it serves as a as almost a catechism for us. I think having it stand apart like that is wise because it calls your attention to it, and I think. Perhaps that's the way Paul intended it. But I'm going to give Paul credit for being the author of it. Okay. And I think it primarily was teaching in its origin in terms of the need for it because I think the church needed that. Now, I will say that um, one of the things that scholars have looked for is, okay, what what was it like in the early church um, post-resurrection, pre-Pauline material? Mm-hmm. What What was happening in the church? How was the church growing? For example, um, when Paul writes Romans from Corinth, why is there already a church in Rome? How, how did the church get to Rome mm-hmm. and and become um, already somewhat influential? Mm-hmm. How has that happened when you know the, the the leading apostle that we know of has not been there? When some people's arguments say, "Well, Peter did that." Well, the problem with that view is. When you read Romans 15, Romans 16, you get to the end of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. He greets everybody in Rome, and he doesn't greet Simon Peter. Hmm. Now, you can't tell me mm-hmm. if the most famous follower of Jesus was in Rome at the time, 
that the most famous missionary in the church would not have addressed him. Yeah, he would, yeah, I think he would have addressed him right off the bat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I believe had Peter been in Rome, Romans 1 would say something like this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the saints in Rome and to Simon Peter. Yep. <laughs> you know, so um, that lets me know Simon Peter was not in Rome. Mm-hmm. So how did the gospel get to Rome? So what was going on in the life of the church? Some scholars say, well, here's a glimpse. Paul has given you a hymn that they were already using in worship, mm-hmm. and it was it was a part of their willingness to take Christian truth and put it into worship for them so that they could teach it to the church because many of the people were illiterate. Mm-hmm. I get that argument. Yeah, that makes and sense. So I'm not, I'm not opposed it. to it, and I certainly don't know. But, but I'm just at the saying, end of the day, in your gut, yeah, yeah he probably I'm, wrote it. I'm giving Paul the credit for it, and I believe it fits into his overall argument. So that's well, just me. Well, uh, I— that then for today, for First Baptist Arlington, we will say that is enough. Yes. I, I do have one, at least one more question in regards mm-hmm. to this. And you you alluded to it. And I, in my mind, verse 6 and mm-hmm. 7 mm-hmm. are full of theology, Trinitarian, Correct. about providence of God. Mm-hmm. And so for those listening, this is what – being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage. And then verse 7 – Rather, he made himself nothing, that's what NIV says, mm-hmm. by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Right. And then you can keep going from there. Mm-hmm. But this phrase, he made himself nothing, mm-hmm. gets a lot of attention, <laughs> and there's a lot of debate around that as well. Mm-hmm. And at least, you know, I was I preached the summer in your absence, and I went into the providence of God, and one of the, one of the ways Roger Olson describes the providence of God in the world is limited. He calls it limited providence. Right. And one is uh, particular providence where God is particularly, um, I don't want to say puppet mastering because that's, mm-hmm. that's that they wouldn't, I don't want to make right. a straw man argument, but he is particularly involved in the life of people mm-hmm. down to every particularity. Mm-hmm. The other is this limited providence. But I think I would, I don't want to put words in Roger Olson's mind, but I think he would go back to this to say, God, limited himself, mm-hmm. Jesus limited himself, even so he could be among us and be part of it. But it taps into Trinitarian theology. It does a lot. So I, I guess I just want your take on that. Mm-hmm. When you hear that that Jesus limited himself, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you think that means for us? Well, first of all, I would say it, um, um, it, it, it's a piece to what I would call our high Christology mm-hmm. that if you say that there were limitations that Jesus Christ had on this earth, that does not minimize our Christology because the only limitations that Jesus Christ would have on this earth are self-imposed. Mm. <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't— It's not um, that he was weak or limited right. in himself. It doesn't damage your Christology to say, well, you know, Christ had limitations. Well, duh. Mm-hmm. He's the Son of God. Yeah. <laughs> so they're all—they're they're, they're self-chosen. He's, they're self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. Now, kenosis is the Greek word underneath this, and there's a whole theological system built around that one word. Some people go to seed on it and, act, and, and make the ridiculous claim that he wasn't even divine, and he just totally emptied himself. Well, um, that, would not, that, doesn't, that doesn't square with what Jesus even says about himself. Right. Jesus makes claims to divinity mm-hmm. uh, in the text, and he, and he certainly engages life in a way to where he has access to the power of the divine in a way that no one else has mm-hmm. before or since. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that argument holds water. But I do say that I, I believe without question that Christ Jesus, a part of the um, um, just the this whole story, if he's going to be, the Son of God is going to be incarnated into a human being, there will have to be some limitations. 
So, for right. example, the text tells us in Luke that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Hmm. Okay? So that tells me something. Why, why would you use the word grew mm -hmm. for the Son of God? Why would the Son of God need to grow at all? Mm -hmm. <laughs> unless. <laughs> unless he has placed limitations yep. on himself. He has emptied himself of, the, of his status mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as the Son of God. And so there are limitations. And so I believe he lived as a human being. In other words, he couldn't bleed multiple places at one time. Mm. You know, couldn't transpose himself mm -hmm. into multi-dimensions. Um, he went to bed at night. Yeah, he, he ate food during the he day. He needed to rest. He took Nourish rest. himself. Yes, yeah. all of that. So those limitations were very obvious mm -hmm. in, in, in the person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm incredibly comfortable with that, and I believe that just stands to reason. And I think that's exactly what this is teaching us, that... Um, that somehow in this mysterious wisdom of God, somehow the Son of God was allowed to step out of that eternal role, if you will, mm -hmm. for a limited period of time mm -hmm. and limit himself to the life of a human being. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, it's miraculous. Mm -hmm. It's mysterious. It's beyond our ability to really comprehend it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think it's stated so succinctly in Paul's writings. Hmm. He doesn't elaborate on it much. He just states it as a fact. So, yeah. And it, well, obviously part of the incarnation is that God can then identify with us Correct. in ways that, I don't know that God couldn't because it's God, yeah, but certainly as, as represented in Jesus, mm -hmm. the suffering servant, right. limiting himself mm -hmm. to live in time mm -hmm. and as a human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's quite it humbling. And it helps us to identify with him. Right. You know, much more profoundly. Well, yeah, and you can see that. You know, the old, the Old Testament God, we were, yeah. we, people were, um, it was a mystery a little bit, right? Sure. And so then you get Jesus with, to let us know about God. Mm -hmm. So within this, you say for a limited time, so now that Jesus is enthroned, as Correct. as Paul was prophesying even, right. he's um, highly exalted. He's the exalted Christ now. And he's he not the, limited. No, he's the right, the right hand of the throne of God, once again, in a very mysterious, challenging um, eternal relationship within the Trinity itself, where we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And again, that is profound and deep for us that none of us really understand it. We just embrace it by faith as being fact. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's what I think Paul did. I mean, Paul, Paul says, just said it. in his very nature, God. Mm -hmm. He doesn't argue about it. It's almost like the Bible opens not as an argument, but a declaration. In the beginning, God. There's no explanation of God. There's no philosophical conversation. Uh, it is just opens in fact, and it opens relationally. Mm -hmm. God, God exists even in relationship with Himself. Mm -hmm. He exists in relationship with what He creates. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's a it's a beautiful to me. It's a, it's it's a beautiful, um, just expression of this God that we know and love, and who knows and loves us. Hmm. So. How about that? All in that one little verse, maybe two. <laughs> yeah, so, well, is there anything else you want to say about this hymn, poem, Pauline, well, here, the Pauline I poem? I think that it does speak to us about the value of worship, hmm. that this hymn, hymns like it, give Paul credit for writing it, whatever, um, was, I do believe, was used as, as, a, um, as a part of worship in the life of the church. And it just, again, reminds me of the value of continuing to see worship as an opportunity to teach and engage the people of God on multiple levels, mm -hmm. intellectually and emotionally and spiritually. 
and that worship life for us should be formational, inspirational, but it should also be instructional. Mm-hmm. And this is a great example of that. I mean, this hymn, this poem, this text is just rich and deep and multi-orbed, but it probably could have been sung very simply, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and yet it is incredibly profound. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a word to us that we, we want our worship, our music I'm I'm okay with it being sung very simply. I just don't want it to be simple, hmm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. So we still need these mm-hmm. profound um, tools yeah. to teach, instruct, and inspire the church today. And that's where I think sometimes contemporary music gets flack mm-hmm. because the hymns were very theological. Mm-hmm. And not that the new ones aren't, but if you're not careful, some of them can be. They're very mm-hmm. shallow and repetitive. And I think that's why I'm grateful for Charlie and Aaron to lead us in worship yes. because they— have a desire to choose songs that take us deeper That's and teach correct. us things. Mm-hmm. And they, I know Charlie and Aaron are very Absolutely. particular about what they put in front of us, that yeah. it's not just for fun. That's right. Engages to, to hype us, us up. profound truth. Actual truth. Absolutely. And it's fascinating how people can quote hymns or That's songs right. or contemporary songs a little quicker than they can get scripture. Mm-hmm. And so it does matter what we put in front of our people and how it forms them. It does. Absolutely. It really does. Okay, well, I think we've hit about our time limit okay. in terms of what I think people want to want to hang with us. But well, next this this coming Sunday, you're going to preach through Philippians three. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing teach through it in the evening, mm-hmm. and then we'll pop back in the studio next week and pick that apart a little bit. And so, hopefully, we can have you tell us more, and we'll learn, and we can be church together in a deep way with some meat on the bone, which is what we want to be at First Baptist Arlington. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Dennis Wells. Enjoy your day. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening.